great news, Buggy fans. Shoot the shit is back. That's right, season two, with all new interviews from folks across the wide world of this sport of buggy that we all love. So strap in your safety harnesses, look for those shoot flags as we turn into another great round of buggy stories as we shoot the shit. It's time again for another episode of Shoot the Shit. This week, we talk about the lost art of flagging. Okay, maybe it's not quite a lost art, uh... Even the people on this podcast would debate whether it's an art or not, but it's one of the most fascinating parts of Buggy to me. Such a crucial element of races, of safety, and everything like that. But it's a role that, you know, maybe is tossed over to a pledge or whatever. So I wanted to get a little bit more into the culture around flagging, what it's like down there in the shoot, some of the fun stories around that. Uh, and uh, we got three guests today who ended up really enjoying flagging. So uh, I was also curious to see why uh, as we get into another set of unsung heroes of the sport of buggy. Uh, let's go ahead, meet the guests and shoot the shit. Yeah. Hi, I'm Eileen Dinnan. I graduated in the class of 2007. I think that's what the diploma says up there. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um, and I was a CIA agent, as we say, and um, I was the assistant chair and then the chair of CIA uh, and then uh, got stuck out in the chute to keep me out of the way. But I actually really did love flagging and it was one of my favorite things. So, yeah. And now I live, I am a project manager and live in uh, industrial Germany, the Pittsburgh of Germany. Hi everyone, I'm Amanda Diano. I graduated back in 2009, so Eileen, it's great to see you again. Um, I was a member of Fringe as a mechanic, and I essentially found that I didn't really like being in our tent during rolls. So they started putting me out on timing for my first year, and I could survive the cold. And then they moved me over to shoot flag, and I really enjoyed watching buggy lines and predicting what teams were going to crash. I got <laughs> good at it. But now, let's see. I actually am in New Zealand. I work at the University of Auckland as what we call a professional teaching fellow, but that's the equivalent of a lecturer mm. back in the U.S., and that's sort of me. Hi, I'm Josio Santian. Um, I graduated in 2019. I started off with Apex. I was an Apex chairman, and then I became sweepstakes safety chairman. But before I was chairman of Apex, I started off as flagging. Flagging at the shoot was always my favorite spot to be at. And I even flagged uh, during race day as chairman. So that was a little crazy, but it worked out. I'm currently in outside the Dallas area of Texas, but I am working as a virtual instructor. So I teach STEM workshop and STEM classes, little science classes um, for a company that's actually based in Pittsburgh though. Sweet. Well, thank you so much everyone for joining a lot of uh, time zones on this one, uh, but uh, should should be fun. Uh, so when we get into it, I didn't really ask this in a pre-question, so I'm not sure if you'd even have the answer it. But do any of you have any insight into like when flagging came about or any sort of like the background on the the history of that? I I can make some guesses. 
because it probably came about when drivers started to be lying on their stomach. <laughs> because the main thing that it does is you can't really see once you're down low. I'm, I'm actually, I was not a driver. I'm a small person, I don't drive though. My understanding is once you're down low, you can't really see anything. You really have to have the flag. So I would guess that was probably in the late 60s. Although, yeah, I'm not the buggy historian. <laughs> that's that's totally but, all right. Not the general topic of this, but something I was like, oh, I should have mm -hmm. asked someone. But yeah, you, you got a little bit into it. I assume most buggy people listening to this know, but like, right, the function of the flag I think you explained it there, but anything to add on just like what really does the shoot flag do and like what role does it play? Um, as Eileen said, it really signals the driver when to start making their turn for the shoot, but almost forgotten and slightly more important is the transition flag further up the hill. Um, if the drivers sort of don't know how to come over that small ridge properly, it can really mess up their sh shoot line and cause a lot of spin. So with a lot of buggies, you'll see a transition mix-up, which will then turn into a shoot mix-up, which will then turn into a spin. Oh, and then I was just going to add that another main function is the stop flag. So whenever there's some sort of accident or for some reason rolls need to be put on hold or race day needs to mm -hmm. come to a stop, flaggers are kind of the first to alert the drivers that there's something that could be stopping their path. Flaggers are also very important for getting bicyclists off the road. <laughs> and runners and cars and lost parents and yeah <laughs> i guess right because the buggy's about to come flying around there in the the hills and all of a sudden it's like shit that's when the people are yeah the pedestrians are coming through interesting you mentioned there the transition because i think obviously like the shoot we're all pretty familiar with what actually happens when you're flagged there um, as far as the transition, what is the driver actually doing in the buggy there? So I'm not a driver, but I'm friends with quite a few drivers. And what's happening at transition flag is there's actually a small ridge and a crest of a hill that the buggies are going over. So they actually can't see the road um, at that point. So the flag is essentially telling them where to aim to come over that hill properly. There's a few times where drivers have not paid attention to the transition flag and have gone on the wrong side of the monument because if they're close to the curb and they don't start their transition to the other side of the road, that's what happens. And then you, oh God, yeah. Yeah, and then you wouldn't be wide out enough to make your turn and yeah, it's... Uh, a lot yeah. lot of bad things could happen. <laughs> it's, it's just not set up to work that way. Yeah, let's just say there's lots of cursing at shoot flag when that does happen. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting position like that. I figure where, you know, you probably take the brunt of of a lot of stuff, even if, you know, you're there doing your job. But there's so much focus required or whatever from the driver, and it's not positioned right. And you know, Amanda, you said right, you're not a driver, but is that something where you do establish a relationship there? Because I imagine, especially in the shoot, right, there's pretty specific timing required, and like, what's it take to get all of that uh, together? Um, you do sort of develop a relationship with drivers. It takes a lot of, I guess, practice is the best way I would put it with the drivers, with knowing the line, knowing their tendencies, knowing your tendencies, um, just to make sure everything's as 
clean as it can be as they're entering into the shoot. So there's lots and lots of, um, we say that the drivers tend to walk their line before rolls. And when you're training as a flagger, um, it's not uncommon for you to go on those walks with the driver. So you sort of see, all right, this is where they're supposed to start their turn. This is what it's supposed to look like. Gotcha. And how does that timing work in terms of actually like when you flag in the shoot? Is it like that's the point they're supposed to turn? Is it they're preparing to start the turn or kind of like, is that vary by team and all that? It varies by team and driver. Sweet. So, you know, basic intro into the the craft of flagging. It, you know, as I've always understood it, it's kind of something, you know, you all mentioned you sort of fell in love with and, and stuck around with or came back to or whatever. But typically, right, the reputation is it's something you kind of just make a freshman or like someone early and, and young do. So was that sort of how everyone here got into that? Or, um, you know, what were your first impressions when when you picked up the flag, if you will? I can say for me, it was sort of funny because I actually did it as a senior. So I was like the sober non-pledge down in the shoot flag um which was is an interesting experience because like it's very often like confused extremely hungover pledges at least it was in 2007 (laughs) but or but it's um it honestly was sort of i like i said i was chair and it was i'm you'll notice i'm not a quiet person (laughs) and i it it was a way for me to be involved in buggy, but also not be stepping on the toes of the chair at the time. And so it actually worked really well. So Amanda said she, you know, like, it's very stressful to be in like the tent or the lobby or wherever you're prepping your buggies for roles. And I, I was not good at like not being chair. (laughs) So it was like a very sort of like, okay, we need someone to flag. And it made sense for me to like be out there. And then we had like the chair, I don't know, two or three chairs after me um, said the same thing where she was like, I never really understood why you were like, you obviously like knew what was going on. Why were you out there? And like, it just sort of made sense to be like, all right, I'm involved. I, I know enough to do this. You know, I know what the, where the flagger is supposed to stand. Um, I know to, to poke the pika flaggers to make sure that they're up when their buggies come up. Um, that sort of thing. That's like, that's, yeah. So as I, we're all from independent organizations. So you'll, there's like a little bit of a different, yeah, a difference, shall we say. Right. No, th- anyway. there's probably a reason we couldn't get <laughs> any former Greek flaggers it just was always pledges that was my memory of it I don't know maybe it wasn't always but like it seemed like it no that's very true when I think back I started flagging actually in 2006-2007 and then I continued for my next two years my first year I was just timing and yeah outside of the independent orgs it was always pledges but no I decided fairly early on um, as a sort of freshman Fruit. We just had a ton of people in a cramped space. And I didn't really care for that too much. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, when we started needing to do timing, I was like, oh, I can do that. I, I don't mind getting cold. I, I tend to survive the cold pretty well and started doing that. And then our shoot flagger transition, I think he graduated and they moved me over to there at the start of the following year just because I knew what was going on. And I just sort of stuck there. <laughs> I also would get bagels or muffins thrown at me from the follow car. So it was all right. Interesting. We'll need to follow up on that. Yeah. Jesse, what about you and your flagging journey? 
Yeah, um, so when I joined Apex, Apex was really, really small, um, very, you know, not, not many hands on deck. So very quickly, I had to learn every role in buggy, you know, from loading the driver to unloading to pushing and um, flagging. And flagging was one that I just, I really enjoyed right away. Um, at the time, CIA, Apex and Fringe were sharing flags. So I very quickly had to learn not just how Apex did their flagging, but the other two teams as well. Uh, for a while, I also flagged for Fidelt and then the occasional other Greek org who just was missing at the time. <laughs> But I, I always really liked it. And I think I just really enjoyed that I knew what was going on on the course. So whenever roles were on hold, us flaggers knew exactly why. And everybody else is kind of confused and texting me like, what's going on? Yeah, I just it was always my, my favorite role. Yeah, no, it, I, it's interesting because you all mentioned, right? It was something you ended up kind of liking and enjoying. And just so you say, right, that about just having that that knowledge, you know, Eileen, I guess for you, maybe something you could do while you were a bit away. Were there other aspects to like the craft that was particularly exciting or like any other elements of like doing flagging that it was just like, yeah, I really like this. Sorry. Yeah. Another thing um, I really liked is uh, since the flaggers are kind of out there for just a really long period of time, um, we're just kind of sitting around. I got to meet a lot of the other teams, people that way. You know, we'd be sitting there and socializing that way. Teams that I normally probably wouldn't have interacted with much. Um, like, for example, the way the teams were stationed on the back hills. Like, I never would see anybody from Spirit because they were at the very bottom of the hill and I was at the top. But when we're flagging, then I get to meet people from other teams that way and, you know, made some friends that way too. So that was nice. Yeah, I'm trying to think about like the craft of flagging, which mainly I remember as being like hold it up high enough so that the driver can see it as they're especially at the transition flag, and then like well not especially, it's been it's been a while since I had to think about this to be honest, but like you hold you have to hold it up and then lower it down, and you know it's like, it's not exactly the most technically complicated part of buggy, but for me it was always entertaining um, because I was in CIA in the era of the dropping push bars, and this was you get to see like. Did it actually successfully go down this time? Yes or no, usually. And then the, does it come up? So I think the, the secret of flagging is that it is actually a great spot to watch. So it's, I mean, that's for me, I thought it was the most fun because you got to like hang out and I mean, yeah, you were out in the cold, but like when weren't you out in the cold in Pittsburgh? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was, you were out in the cold, but like I had a, I had a good jacket and then you just sort of got to hang out with people. I think that was the fun of it. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed meeting the other flaggers. Um, got to be very good friends with some different orgs that I wouldn't have necessarily met or known. But I will admit my first year back as an alum and when it came to watching race day and everybody's in the shoot and I just go take up and go walk to the shoot flag. You're like, why are you walking up there? And I was like, this is a much better viewpoint. <laughs> and a few people drink, they're like, oh yeah, this is much better, but everybody's in the shoot. So we're going to go down there. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I guess you can see the whole approach coming from around the monument and then into and out of the shoot. That's why the CIA alums are always at the end of the shoot, like all the way out by the flags. <laughs> it never occurred to me. That makes so much sense. Sweet. Uh, so if y'all want, we can jump into just some more 
stories, anecdotes, because I always really like to just get those on here if you've got some good ones from flagging experiences. I know, Amanda, you're talking about people throwing bagels and, and stuff at you. Right. So we would normally have somebody do a breakfast run in the morning and they would normally show up when the pusher showed up. But as the flagger or timer, we would normally leave and head to our posts five to 10 minutes before first rolls. So if we were down in the roll order, I wouldn't get breakfast. So then there would be a phone call or a call across the walkie talkie. What do I want? And then as the follow car was coming by, they would just toss it. So I would have to drop the flag and catch my food. I got very good at that. <laughs> it got much better once um, one of the timers, we, uh, they started bringing muffins with them. So then we always had our own batch of muffins that would come. That were thrown at you. <laughs> uh, no, we would, as we were walking up, we'd all just grab our you own You just grab the, your own muffins. Plus okay. the muffins we already grabbed in the tent. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess muffins probably don't throw as well as bagels. I feel like an Amanda might have to back, see if she also remembers this. I feel like Sigma Nu used to set up a barbecue grill. Like their flaggers used to set up a grill by the monument. I have a very vague memory of like looking across and being like, why don't I, now I want a cheeseburger. (laughs) I think you may be right, but it wasn't always. It was only like a few times because they would also be in the car parked on the other side of the monument and come running across. And every once in a while, they would forget to come running and we had to start yelling at them to get over there. The sleep deprivation of Buggy has led to many, like, I'm like, do I have good stories? I mainly just remember being tired. Right. Just, just weird hallucinations of <laughs> exactly potential sig up or sig new barbecues. That sounds like a very sig new thing to do. So it's like, it sounded right. So yeah. I'm <laughs> um, going off of, you know, throwing little care packages and food for the flaggers. I remember one time, I don't remember if it was for a SIGAP or SAE flagger, but the follow car, one of the passengers threw out a, a chair for them. So I'm used to seeing like, you know, little things wrapped up in tinfoil, like, you know, little bagels or pancakes, but they threw an entire folded chair out the window at the flagger and it, it scared him real bad. <laughs> um, definitely, he was not expecting that, having to dodge a chair. <laughs> It's like WWE style or whatever, just flying out there at you. Well, like you mentioned, right? There's probably, I'm sure, lots of sleep deprivation, lots of kind of early mornings, blah, blah, blah. Anything like race day wise kind of stand out to you or like wacky flagging, interesting, exciting flagging experiences? Back in, uh, I think it was 2008, 2009, I think it was during the fall semester. We actually had the barricaders fall asleep and a car just drove through the bottom of the chute or the hill as buggies were coming down the course, like one had just gone through the chute and the next one was coming. Um, So that was a little panic inducing. Uh, We did get the car off to the middle of the road and yell at them a lot. But yes, I was one of like, the, one of the five flaggers that sort of like jumped in front of it, like stop, 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 as it's trying to avoid us. But like, no, no, stop. Go. Oh, God. And I know that the passenger was actually heading to Phipps. There was a worker and she tried to get out and almost opened her car into the buggy. Um, and I happened, it was a truck. So I happened to be on the sideboard and just slammed the door shut on them. So the buggy passed because the driver never noticed the stop flag. But that's a different story. Wow. 
Yeah, the stop flags, like, we, we talked about this briefly, but, like, stop flag. there are a lot of drivers who used to take the stop flags as sort of more of a suggestion. Or, like, maybe also, like, we were talking about everyone was sleep-deprived, and they were like, oh, the flag is a different color. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, there were many, I, like, I don't have any specific, like, instances in mind, but I definitely, like, remember you'd, like, okay, there's something on the course, you need to stop flag, and then you're just watching these buggy go through, go, like, that was, that went through five stop flags. <laughs> So I hope it doesn't crash into you. Like you're like, wh- why? Why does this happen? But it, it would happen like at least once or twice a year that like there would be a buggy that just didn't feel like stopping. So I remember one year, um, SCC mixed up when their buggies were going, so they had their flag out, and one of our drivers stopped because it was a stop sign because it's the red circle on the white flag. They're like, why is there a stop sign? What's going on? Oh. Yeah, if, if you're not used to seeing another organization's flag and you, like, so, you know, again, we're all doing this while deeply sleep-deprived. Um, but, yeah, if you're not used to it, then I definitely, I was surprised sometimes that, like, drivers, like, would be okay sometimes with flags and, like, you know, the wrong flag going out. Because, like, often they're also in other places. Like, we would flag in a certain spot always, which I, of course, have no memory of, except that you would, like, go down to the hay bale and then pass that and whatever. But, um yeah, it's uh, drivers are like surprisingly flexible about these things, except when they're not. It's one of those weird things where there's always like the one driver who's like, that was slightly different. <laughs> Just ruins everything. I know when we would share flags and teams would kind of like double up and roll together to get more rolls in that way, it was always a little confusing for drivers rolling with Apex since Apex's flag is red. So you kind of instinctively think red means stop and then. It kind of confused some people. And when I was in sweepstakes, um, blowing through stop flags was actually a bit of a problem. And I remember we, um, there are fines for blowing through stop flags and we upped the fines and it was like a whole thing that we just had a problem with a lot of people blowing through stop flags um, multiple times during rolls. And um, I know that I had to like work on rewriting some rules to discourage that but yeah it was it was a bit of a problem um for some time and yeah it definitely doesn't help when whenever teams share flags and you see a flag that you're not used to seeing and even more so if it's a red flag like sdc or apex is what is is it a universal stop flag for everyone or is it like what does it look like this top flag? Is. Mm-hmm. that came about i think in either my junior or senior year after an incident where somebody's stop flag was very similar to somebody's regular flag. And I believe it wound up causing um, a driver got confused and caused the second accident when there was already one in the chute. So then they forced them oh. all to be Cause who's, yeah. with a black X through it. I was gonna say they were supposed to be yellow with a black X through it and like, I don't remember. I mean, that's what ours was. And I remember they were all supposed to be yellow. I think was the rule, but maybe the X wasn't, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I used to know buggy rules. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they are now or what they were then. Yeah. I guess I should say they started enforcing that rule. Oh yeah. During my time, all of them had to be yellow with the black X and during driver safety meetings where the safety chairman kind of held like a, a little meeting about just some rules and like guidelines for the new drivers. Nowadays, we bring a stop flag with us to show everyone, like, this is what it looks like. This is the only one you'll stop for. Yeah, that's what they do nowadays. Gotcha. Yeah, it feels like one of those 
like cycle on psych studies or whatever, where like you have to react to like, cause I imagine right going down head first at 30, whatever miles an hour, it's a lot to process. And so then you have to throw it for your team, but like, how does that get communicated to you? Is it just like, Oh, you see something in the shoot, you got to swap out the stop flag or like, is it on you to make that split decision? There's, there's usually a radio club member nearby also. So it's like, I mean, there's a certain amount of like, yeah, you have to use your good judgment, but like, if it's something that you can't see, you know, that, which is totally possible, then yeah, then, then I seem to recall getting yelled at by a radio club member at least once or twice. Yeah. So when a stop flag comes out, it's supposed to be everybody throws their stop flags. Mm. So you'll see an incident and you'll hear it being yelled, stop flag, stop flag, and everybody throws their stop flags out. Um, one amusing story was SDC back in 2008 race day, before they really figured out their line completely, they had what looked like going to be an epic spin. The driver was almost pointed the wrong way going into the chute, and everybody starts throwing out their stop flag, and then somehow we just see her pull through on the other side of the chute. We're like, how'd she save that? <laughs> And then it's like quickly pull the stop flags back, let the buggies through. Right. And then swap out whoever's been to flag for the teams behind them. Yeah. It seems like that this, I'm sure stop flag is probably one of the most chaotic elements to it. You know, we talked a little bit about that relationship with the driver. Like, is that something you're able to evaluate in yourselves? Like that was a really well done flag or something like that, where you just know, like, like, do you ever give yourself a pat on the back for like a good shoot turn? I would normally give the driver a pat on the back for a good shoot turn. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would trust that I was always in the right spot and the driver wasn't necessarily doing the right thing. Yeah, ideally you're you're not, hopefully like you are a, a constant, you're standing in the right spot, in the same spot every time, the flag is in the same spot. So like there shouldn't be really too much variability uh, in it, but you know, I guess I could have, uh, you know, I don't think it ever occurred to me. I was just always like, oh, sweet. The driver went through, push bar went up, excellent. <laughs> Watch. I, I guess too, I, we can open up some of the story stuff. I know y'all had other roles outside of flagging if there are particular race day things that come to mind as being interesting or, or weird um feel like putting down on uh, audio for the world to know i actually did remember one of the greatest things i got to observe while going out to flag was that there was a car on the course one morning that was booted uh and so it couldn't be moved no, you know, obviously no driver around. So I do have a very fond memory and probably somewhere a very, very terrible photo of as many pushers as we could get lifting a car onto the sidewalk. Um, so that's a fun bunny, but fun buggy moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because like, you, like it was in the racing line, you, it needed to go. And so I probably wasn't good for the suspension that we lifted it up, but like, hey, you, you know. It had to go somewhere. Someone was probably really confused when they got back to their booted car that was booted and now in a different place. But it turns out if you get enough people together, you can indeed lift a car onto the sidewalk. Wow. Yep. You just bounce it until it actually comes up. <laughs> I remember that happening a few times. Never on race day, though, because we always had the tow trucks for that, which was a lot. Wait, like... 
you actually like push down and up until there's like enough room underneath you can get a wow <laughs> oh that's crazy i almost feel left out because with us uh sweepstakes is very clear that we weren't allowed to do that anymore I'm sure that it was like, you know, it was like definitely, I remember watching it happening and thinking, this is not a good idea. <laughs> but I thought that about a lot of things at Carnegie Mellon over the four years I was there. And so, you know. Yeah, last year we talked with um, Casey and Ann and uh, some of the advisors. And we, we got into a lot of things they caught flack for, but never, I'd really be interested to hear like what the city called and told them when people were finding out they had booted car has been lifted onto the sidewalk that's wild i was gonna say i'm trying to think of other good buggy stories that i have so and it's bad because i married a buggy person i hear that that's another thing that rachel was all excited she was like you could be on the buggy thing but mainly the memories we had of that we um there was a lot of like late night assembly of push bars that didn't work that was a lot of cia in, in 2007 had a lot of not that many people and a lot of mechanically complex things going on. And so that's like mainly it was like how comically can things fail in a system that is extremely over-engineered. The first uh, Firebird had a, this push bar that the um, a key part of the mechanism was made of fishing line at first that was purchased from Dick's Sporting Goods like the day before truck weekend uh in like a panicked dash to, so yeah so i i think in fact if we ever wanted to do a, like how could mechanical things go wrong episode we could get my husband in here to talk about like the many stupid things that sorry wonderful things lovely cia mechanics who i definitely enjoyed working with but i am not a mechanical person um what else happened oh the uh CIA used to be able to store things in the basement of Margaret Morrison, which uh, Amanda probably has fond memories of this. Uh, but I think if Amanda, only one year. Yeah. So, so at some point before you were like in my freshman year, Margaret Morrison, the basement flooded. That basement floods like all the time still. And so I have like, I think one of my like things that I did with CIA and like my you know, first act was like, go through a flooded storage facility and get all the no parking bags out and don't think about what flooded this. I, so since I do teach engineering, I tend to have a lot of buggy stories of what can go wrong? What did we overlook? Um, especially because I teach a lot of safety and design. So <laughs> it's very common to come up in my lectures. Um, one of my favorite things I can tell the I can tell you now is back in 2005, 2006, a fire alarm went off in Margaret Morrison, and that was us because we built an oven out of wood, and it worked extremely well. <laughs> the safety inspector crossed two wires. So yeah. was this for like heating wheels or? It was for heating something. I was going to say wheels. There, there are many options though. It could be wheels, could be windshields. Although windshields usually you do in your, in the oven of the person who's kind enough to lend it to you. Um, another fun one is because of Bucky, um, I am actually allergic to carbon. So I cannot use pens or pencil. I have to be very careful with my pens and I can't use pencils anymore. So my students get very annoyed when they take my classes and they can't use pencils on tests. It's like surprisingly, you're not the first person I've heard say that, to be honest. 
Yeah, normally it's the epoxy that people are allergic to, but no, I became allergic to the actual carbon. And that just developed through like exposure or? Uh, yeah, we were working with a few materials. One of them was, um, is highly reactive to human skin if you're not careful. And apparently I was just uber sensitive to it and wound up in the hospital. And yeah, wow. it was, I am allergic to carbon. Wow. <laughs> that is wild. Um, and, and to your point earlier, Eileen, I feel like one day, even just like an oral history of the dropping push bar would be a very fun episode. That would be an interesting episode. There's, I, I honestly have a lot of questions about it myself, even though I spent four years with a team that had it of like, why are we doing this? How is this? And the other problem, which was a, a interesting problem, um, it's heavier. So the buggies are heavier. So it makes, like, if you have really fast push pushers, it has an advantage, but we were unfortunately not particularly fast <laughs> when I was chair. And so it was always like, we're doing all this work and it doesn't really give us a huge, anyway, it was, a, it was always a little bit of a, like, a debate about like, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, we'll see if we can get that scheduled. So. I think that would be a fun uh, <laughs> I, I retros would, yeah. retrospective. I can... uh, can be guessed. Eileen, I have a quick <laughs> Sorry, question. Or Eileen, I have a quick question. Did the dropping push bar come back? It did. And I can't remember the name of the buggy, so someone's gonna have to is it one of the newer ones has a dropping push bar and I like had forgotten the sensation of watching race day and having this like panic of like, uh oh, will it come back up? And like apparently that had been missing from my life and so CIA decided to return that. Uh and so yeah, it did come back and I can't remember the buggy, maybe it yeah. I was just saying Jesse, it looks like he knows. Yeah, that would be Aurora. I did do an inspection for Aurora, so I, I was able to see that and everything as safety chairman. But yeah, it was definitely um, something I had not seen before. It's been a while since there had been a dropping push bar buggy on the course. An unexpected hazard of those, speaking from a safety perspective, is that they will pop up depending on how they're triggered. And like, we've definitely, we had a mechanic broke his glasses because they like unexpectedly hit him in the face. Uh, if the driver isn't paying attention and hits the switch that activates it while someone's standing over it, that can be bad. Um, what else? And yeah, the driver like will forget and turn it on at the wrong time. There are like, there's a lot of failure modes, <laughs> a lot of which are human related. And so it was always like, that was a main memory I have of flagging. I said this earlier, is just like, like watching and like the like, oh crap, will it come up? Will it come up at the right time? Will it like, will they hit the switch at the right time? Oh, you know, did it go down? So, there was a lot of memories of like watching buggies come down and maybe it didn't lock down. So it was like bouncing and you're like, well, that's not going to work right. And uh, oh God, there are so many ways it can go wrong. So yeah, so I had forgotten that. And then the Aurora came like, you know, I was watching the race day stream and going like, oh great. I get to have this feeling again. <laughs> I can't remember if that was the last race day before I moved out to New Zealand or my first one, but I just remember going, why is there a dropping push bar again? Someone was nostalgic. I think probably Sean, so the person whose glasses were broke by a dropping push bar, I think he maybe even gave them like an extra donation because of it. And I was like, dude, you were like the dropping push bar victim. Why? <laughs> but you know, it's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, maybe. I will say they are always fun to broadcast. If nothing else, just gives you another 
that that anxiety for you is excitement. Yeah, it's it's dramatic. I understand it's dramatic tension. It's just also for me. <laughs> Since race day happens so early out here, I have definitely woken my husband up yelling, um, "Push bar, push bar, push bar!" at the as the Hill Five is approaching the stop line. He's like, "Why are you yelling?" I was like, "Because this is a great time, and they don't have their hands on the push bar." Gives me shivers now. Yeah, wait, Amanda, wasn't it one of your, you you definitely, Fringe had a couple pushers who like, like, sustained some nice road rash diving after the push bar. I recall watching this. Yes, um, Tyler, who was a senior my freshman year, uh, I think he missed the push bar in what would have been a winning race um, in his freshman or sophomore year, and then he missed it again in his senior year. This was a C-team buddy. Yeah, I remember. That's, that's exactly it. I, that's, that's who I remember now. Yeah, you said the name and I was like, yeah, that's it. It's one of those things that you think shouldn't be that hard. And then you, but like the problem is that it tends to get away from you on that straight. So it doesn't look that hard. And then you realize like, okay, it does. There's a little bit of like a, a you have to keep up with it. So. As I say, actually the most soul crushing thing for me is not the hell, not hell five push bar. It's when the driver nails the shoot flag and then burns hill three right hill three just gets smoked and is catching up behind it cool well i know we've we've gone through a good bit of stuff here i always kind of like to end um with you know i'll just open and say if there are any other like favorite memories or things like that you want to share that's cool but i always like to kind of just get people sort of takeaways with buggy or like from them what were like lasting impacts or uh lessons professionally personally blah 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 i always think it's interesting just like how buggy sticks with people which we've talked touched on a little but um I'll, I'll open it up to that i was gonna say besides the lasting allergies and like i have some scars from uh from wheel making don't make your own wheels everyone it's not a good idea um yeah um take away it's always like you do there's funny the things that like you take away are not the things that like i expected as a as a student obviously but like about motivating teams and like what you know what gets people like the stuff that gets people out on the course at whatever unholy hour uh is stupid o'clock yes whatever gets people out on the course at stupid o'clock is you know like figuring that out is something that you have to do um, a lot in life is figuring out like what is motivating people to, to do these things. And because uh, like a lot of the tasks, like no one wants to go out and put bags on parking meters at, you know, like, yay, that's what I did with my Friday night. But like how you motivate people to do that or like the other thing that I remember, which I still, you know, however many years later is like no one reads emails and like that's still true today <laughs> like no one is no one correctly reads emails how do you write an email that like someone will actually read um is a weird thing that i learned being a buggy chair um i guess being a, being a flagger uh took away is like have a good winter coat <laughs> Bring a thermos of something warm to drink. <laughs> Lessons learned from flagging. Eileen, you may like this. Um, one of my biggest takeaways is not just from the team management and like getting people out, 
but as I tell my students all the time, sleep is for the week. So the joys of working with undergraduates again, and I use that quote and especially time management to help them go through things. Um, that's a skill that because of Bucky, I really had to fine tune. Um, so that's was very, very sort of important. And as a flagger, um, one of the things I tell my team or my students is you may have the crappiest job in the world that somebody else thinks is crappy, but find why you actually enjoy it. It makes it much better. Well, I guess before I kind of go over my takeaways from Buggy, I feel like I have to bring up the one um, story of, I think maybe the wackiest thing that I saw during flagging. And <laughs> I know my, my friend Chris will, will be really upset that I talked about it. Um, you know, it's still a, a sore topic for him to this day, but um, you know, roles aren't always all that serious. I mean, they get more and more serious and intense as we approach race day, but um, in the early months, you know, they're kind of for fun, kind of just like, it's just like a fun thing that we all do also. And I don't know how or where, and because I was flagging, so I, I didn't, I wasn't here when this happened. I was over on the other end of the course, but somehow some members of Apex found a bunch of balloons. Um, like, I don't know if they were from some opening ceremony or something, but there are a bunch of these enormous balloons and they didn't have plastic bags because we put bags on the push bars to slow down the buggies and that's a requirement. So they decided to put the balloons on <laughs> as, a, as a bit of uh, kind of push, like trying to see how much they could push sweepstakes before they got mad at them. Apex always kind of tried to mess with sweepstakes as much as they can, even more so when I was on sweepstakes. But they tied a bunch of these enormous balloons onto our buggy ember and pushed it down the hill that way. And as you would expect, it was incredibly slow. And it stopped like right around like the transition flag. So somebody had to jump out of the car and of the put of the follow car and start pushing it. And before he could get back in the car, the car sped off without him. And I don't know if it was um, Lou or Ben Matsky, but somebody took this just beautiful picture that we have saved everywhere and in our shop. And it's just this mechanic just flailing his arms, chasing after a car, going down the hill, and then a buggy in the front with a bunch of balloons tied to it. And it's just my favorite picture ever. And it was the the wackiest thing that I had seen as a flagger because I, I did not expect to see, you know, a buggy with balloons, a car, and then just this kid chasing after the car. But it was probably one of my favorite memories. <laughs> That's amazing. Let's see if Ben can dig that up. Hopefully someone has it somewhere. If not, I guess Apex does. Yeah, it's definitely in one of the roles galleries somewhere probably like 2015, 2016, around there. But yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. But I mean, going off of that, like, you know, I made a lot of friends and had a lot of great memories with Buggy. Um, a lot of them I'm still very close with. I, I still do a, a weekly uh, virtual trivia nights with some, some Apex alum mm -hmm. friends, um, you know, still keep in touch. Um, one of them is the guy who was chasing after the car who's going to be mad at me next time I see him <laughs> for that. And uh, 
yeah, I just, I had a lot of great memories with that. And, uh, you know, I also got to meet a lot of other um, people from other teams as well. I remember with flagging, um, at the time, I think uh, a lot of people kind of treated SDC as a bit like this kind of scary entity on their own. And I think one of the main reasons that Apex was so friendly with SDC is because I became good friends with their chairman who was flagging mm. and she would share, I don't know if you know, but SDC has these like large tarps that they have all their flaggers carry. So in case there's ever an accident, the flaggers are required to run out and then cover it up. Um, Cause they don't want anybody seeing the driver being removed. Um, but we would share the tarp and it was cold and, you know, keep warm no. that way. So that was like a nice little thing too. But yeah, I definitely will have a lot of great memories of Buggy and it, even surprisingly um, relevant to some of the stuff I study. I got my degree in material science, so I'm really into composites. Um, I really liked working with composites and, you know, having, even though it's not a professional or industry level experience, um, employers and interviewers are always surprised to hear that I've like worked with these composites and stuff. I remember one of them was really surprised. I think um, I made like a joke during an interview about like epoxy stains on my jeans or something. And then he's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I, I've worked with composites and it was like kind of surprising. So you know, kind of good to see that these things come up in, in real life. Speaking of like things that, you know, like carrying tarps and things like that, I keep finding, we just reorganized our home office and I keep finding I have a small package of pica rubber because um, I was always a disappointment. I studied chemical engineering, but I'm like very bad at, I, I did biotechnology. I'm not good with any sort of polymers or anything like that. And it was always disappointing to the alumni who always wanted me to be like, can you fix the wheel rubber? No, but somehow I still ended up with however many years later, like in my files, there's a package of pica rubber from, you know, like they sprayed it off a wheel at one point. So, so if anyone wants circa 2009, Pica rubber, there's a sample of it here in Germany. <laughs> it's it takes it takes a, a a a large degree of laziness when packing is I think the secret. There's a lot of uh yeah. There's a lot of stuff that made it here. I was gonna say I guess it's circular. You either work really hard to preserve it or you just brought everything. Oh, uh, we just brought everything. Yeah, yeah. For the for, that's another point that we sort of didn't mention, but uh, that I didn't mention, but then just reminded me. Um, Jason just reminded me that the, I like I, a lot of the close friends I still have are from Buggy. Um, I something about that like you know waking up at silly o'clock to to be doing an inexplicable thing together really sort of it binds people together in weird ways so like my husband's grad school roommate was also the other person who worked on the firebird push bar um and like i was in you know our head mechanics i was like a bridesmaid in our head mechanics wedding not that long ago it's you know you just you make these friendships uh so and Adam McHugh called me uh, a couple of weeks ago to ask, or a couple of months ago, uh, to ask if I could uh, give him my German banking details because he needed to try out a German banking app. <laughs> and of course, this is the Bonds of Buggy. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll give you my banking details. I know you won't steal my identity. Uh, and so, yeah, that was how we ended up being trying out a 
Germany specific banking app that he needed a yeah German bank account for. So that's the sort of thing where I'm just like, and that, like, I didn't even occur to me like that would be weird, but I'm like, well, I've known Adams for, you know, however many years at, you know, 5am and like, I know where he lives. <laughs> I, I know that he won't. That's the kind of trust you build at 5am on a buggy course, I guess. If he did anything, you know, the buggy community could shame him or whatever, right? Everyone's still so tight. That just you saying that reminds me of another lesson I sort of learned. Um, I have an eight month old son and husband doesn't understand how I'm able to function on almost no sleep at times and just like, oh, it's 2 a.m. and we have crying and let's be functional. And he's like, how did you learn to do this? I was like, you know, that activity that you heard about that I did in undergrad that you make fun of me all the time for? This is a skill I learned. Yeah, you definitely have to be the the same kind of crazy to do buggy. So it's like a, I think a shared trauma that we all have that keeps us and brings us together. Yeah, a, sh- a shared uh, ability to to sleep to like when needed and not sleep and yeah. Although I have to say that like now I'm like way I see I just like I'm, I'm very into sleep now I think after that experience it was like okay it's like a precious asset after four years of buggy so learn the value yeah yeah the whole inexplicable thing of it I like the way you phrased it too where it's like for one race day second semester you're like training Olympic level dedication or whatever. And it's just very difficult to get people to really understand or whatever, kind of what you were saying, Amanda, it's just like, and granted, I never actually was on a team or anything, but you know, whatever I went to CMU, it's just, you can't really get it until you see it and you're in it and you feel it. And it's like amazing. Even, you know, so many people from across the years will come back and, talk on this or whatever and still be so jazzed to like share stories is just i don't know there's not a lot like it yeah it's also really hard to explain to people like like, why did you do that i don't know it was the thing that you did all of my friends did it (laughs) you get some great friendships from it um i always love showing it to my students right before the race days it's like this is why we don't have a test this weekend or this week because I am going to be watching this all weekend. And they look at me and they're going, why do you do that? But I believe it was two CIA alums who created the short documentary one year for two minutes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was always very well done and actually explained it fairly well. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, that'll be that. Uh, and and thank you all for spending your Friday night, Saturday morning uh, with us here. And uh, yeah, appreciate it. Have a good uh, night and or day. So there you have it. Some fun stories from the wacky wild world of flagging. Uh, Really grateful for our guests who literally were joining from three countries. But, uh, you know, that that's kind of the world CMU throws you into sometimes. Uh, And uh, I think we got some cool stuff out of it. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We are coming into the back hills, if you will, of the season of CTS. I hope you've been enjoying it. Next week, I think we got Radio Club and then maybe two or three episodes after that. And then we'll go back into hibernation. As always, thanks for BAA uh, helping put this together. 
especially Rachel Schmidt, who, to be clear, is really the producer of uh, this whole affair, does all the editing, really gets everything together and makes it very easy for me to just hop online and blabber. Uh, but the the true unsung hero uh, of this podcast, which has been about unsung heroes, uh, so give her a thank you. And uh, yeah, hop in the Discord, let us know what you think, uh, and uh, we'll be chatting with you next week on Shoot the Shit.